everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Agile Precision Podcast by BMW iVentures. Every week, we talk to a variety of interesting folks, a lot of them in the iVentures portfolio, as well as other luminaries in technology in and outside of Silicon Valley, but with a strong focus on companies that impact the world. I'm your host, Greg Smithies, and today we're chatting with James Page, who is the CEO and founder of Riven. We're extremely excited about our investment in Riven because of their large opportunity to cut back on the huge problem of waste in the manufacturing process. We're very excited to have you here today, James. Thank you, Greg. Excited to be here. So um, I, I like to think of Riven when when we invested as, or, or at least when we first met, as being one of these companies that I first thought was very boring and then dug into it more and more and realized the opportunity was kind of bigger and bigger and bigger until I just got ridiculously excited about it. And then obviously we invested. So maybe just for the audience here, um, what is it that Riven actually does? Sure. Well, Riven makes inspection for manufacturing push button simple. And we're certainly glad that you took the extra time to dig in. I can see how you might have thought it was boring at first, but it turns out there's a lot to it. Okay. Inspection for manufacturing. I understand all of those words. I'm not entirely sure what they mean together. So let's maybe dig into that a little bit more about, about what you actually do. So, so what I'm really excited about this company's uh, potential impact is um, the massive sustainable impact that it could have to global manufacturing. So effectively, tell us why, why should we care? To your point, Greg, we're all about reducing waste in manufacturing. And, you know, even though I've spent many years in this industry, it was surprising to me to find out that in the $13 trillion manufacturing industry, about 25% of its output is waste. And that has a huge impact on economies, sustainability, and the environment. So we're all about reducing manufacturing waste. And then how does your system actually help with that? So what we do is we replace manual error-prone processes that are time-consuming and wasteful that are normally used for checking product quality, and we replace them with a fully digital workflow that takes away the human error, and it streamlines the processes to greatly reduce rejected products and specifically to reduce products that are shipped that are poor quality. Yeah, I think this is this is a, a number one issue that BMW actually sees on their supply chain is that parts will actually make it all the way to the assembly line where they will be about to be put onto a car. And the only way that we figure out that, you know, they don't meet criteria or aren't in spec is because they don't fit, right? And uh, typically that is at the end of a, you know, six or seven step supply chain process. It should have been caught long before it got to the uh, end of the line, you know, to, to us as the actual ultimate user of it. So you would, in theory, be working earlier on in the supply chain to stop that product ever actually leaving the first person who made it, therefore saving the world on shipping it around the world and uh, all of the, the waste there. That's exactly right. People tend to think about manufacturing waste and they think about the cost of a particular part, but it turns out that because of the interconnections of the full supply chain, an error in one part can actually have a huge multiplier effect, both in terms of a bad part being incorporated into a full product and creating a lot of waste in shipping, materials, energy, and added value later on. But also, if you can save that, we can dramatically increase the bottom line for manufacturing companies as well as having a huge lever on sustainability for the manufacturing ecosystem. Yeah, it's kind of like a win-win. This is why I, I love businesses like this so much, because um, having less waste is just a good thing to do, right? Like, yes, it's good for the planet, but it should be good for the bottom line as well. It's, it's kind of a no-brainer. 
So moving, moving tack here a little bit, I know that our listeners are extremely interested in the entrepreneurial journey. And this isn't your first startup and you've been through uh, quite a storied history here around Silicon Valley and some interesting companies. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got here. Sure. You know, well, I got my start actually in product design. I ran a product design consulting company for many years, and that was exciting. Uh, we helped to launch over a hundred products for various different companies. And I found that the part that I loved about that the most, uh, ironically, was one of the ones that some people find the most boring. I loved the end of the process where we were getting the product to manufacturing. I loved going and working in factories side by side with people uh, in the factories to solve problems that were preventing products from getting launched. And that formed the basis of my my love for this area. Uh, Then later on, I had started a 3D printing software company that was acquired by Autodesk. And I went to work with both CAD software teams and advanced manufacturing teams at Autodesk. And I found that there's a lot of software that works very well, especially you know, CAD software. But I discovered that there was this kind of big gap, a, a gaping hole in a particular workflow that really affects manufacturing. And specifically, what I found was that there was this divide between the digital representation of the intended part and the real parts that were produced. And there was no good way to bridge that gap. And that's really where Riven came from, was making it possible to bridge that gap between the physical real world output and the digital intent of what was designed. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I find it fascinating when I talk to uh, entrepreneurs and founders of companies that how it almost seems like their entire life has kind of like led to this point in time, like there's a, sort of a culmination to it that that you'd had so many experiences leading up to this that actually make you the best person in the world to be able to do this sort of stuff because of this sort of cumulative life experience. And then jumping from that to the technology again, I think we, we've all heard of 3D scanners before, right? Like 3D scanners exist. Why is it that your scanner is something better or why is it that what you're doing is possible now, but nobody else has done it, right? Sure. There's a couple pieces to that, that answer. Uh, one is that while this technology has been available to aerospace for a long time, and it's, it's been available to very high-end needs. It's only been recently that the components have been commoditized in a way that enable the technology to be mass deployable. And in fact, we have some particular IP that allows us to use mass produced components to create 3D scanning data that's of aerospace quality at a a mass deployable price. So that's one piece of it. The other piece, and I think even more important to the answer to your question, is that it's about the whole product. And so it's not enough to just 3D scan something. There's been many attempts in industry to throw technology at a problem, and they only succeed when they address the whole product, meaning address all the needs that the customers have to get all the way to the end. So in our case, what that means is actually not just collecting the 3D scan data uh, in a cost-effective way, but it means software to get them to the end result. Is that product good or is it bad? And doing it at a push of a button, not having to put on a white lab coat and go through you know many hours uh, workflow to get to the answer. Yeah, I think I would kind of sum this up as there are many companies who have incredibly good technology at building 3D scanners, 
And those 3D scanners might run the hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they don't necessarily understand what a rapid paced manufacturing supply chain, you know, um, workflow looks like. And what you've really threaded the needle on is mashing together the ability to get good enough scans. They are still very good scans, but maybe not the, the nth degree of the absolute best quality scan that you could ever get. But being able to get good enough scans with extremely cheap hardware, but then marry it to a, a deep understanding of how a manufacturing line works and how QA should work. And it's that marriage of the, the hardware plus the software together that is uh, sort of greater than the sum of its parts. Greg, I think that's exactly right. And to build on that, by enabling people on the shop floor to use a fully digital tool and making it easy and streamlined, we can replace manual tools to to get to a fully digital workflow and enable that quality data to be available across the supply chain instantaneously. Where previously this technology was wrapped up and only available in, in metrology labs to very highly trained personnel. But I'm sure there's there are some challenges here just as you think of building your team and how you hire for it, right? Because traditionally, you have people who understand the hardware stuff and you have other people who understand manufacturing software and other people who understand CAD software. How do you get people who can kind of think across those silos and bring them all together? Yeah, that's another interesting point. It's very important to us to have people on our team who take a holistic point of view and who are multidisciplinary. That's been one of the greatest challenges in our search and in building our team. I think we've done it well, but we have several people who are very multidisciplinary, who have knowledge that spans the software ecosystem through manufacturing. And that's been extremely helpful for us so that we can solve those problems all the way from beginning to end and not leave people with a bunch of data that then they have to use some other tool to assess. I'd like to actually talk a little bit about sort of the magic of Silicon Valley and, and how it supports innovation here, because you are, you know, uh, sort of a product here of, of Silicon Valley and, and you've had so much experience here. I think there's this sort of level of lightning in a bottle that people maybe put Silicon Valley up on a, a bit of a pedestal that people can start companies here and get funding and get financing and it, it all sort of works. But most of the rest of the world is also trying to emulate this. So maybe what are some of the things that you've seen in Silicon Valley that you think uh, can be emulated in the rest of the world or, or policies that other places can put into place to to encourage a sort of level of innovation and, and people being able to start companies like this? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Greg. I think that we're seeing more and more outreach and cultivation of startup companies and more and more efficient efforts to match them with the right resources. So we were certainly the beneficiary of, of that. We were in the StartX program, and that's how we met uh, Greg Yu and, and iVentures, and we're grateful for that. And I think that programs like that that do this efficient matching, they don't have to be unique to Silicon Valley. And I think that we are starting to see more and more of that in other areas. And we're seeing hotbeds of tech emerge in other places uh, both within the US and abroad, and they are succeeding at both emulating and, and going beyond to innovate um, to create fertile ground for startups. Yeah, and maybe just for people who aren't as familiar with StartX, because it's not quite an incubator, they've got a little bit of a different model, but um, maybe just give us the rundown on what that is. Sure. StartX is a, a program loosely affiliated with Stanford, and it's all about entrepreneurs helping other entrepreneurs and kind of paying it forward, if you will. That combined with a great network of both advisors 
and funding sources like iVentures, for example, uh, having all of that in one place with well-coordinated ways to converge and meet each other and vet both opportunities and the fit between entrepreneurs and the other resources that are needed, that turns out to be a place that is really fertile for innovation and helps to launch companies very, very quickly. Yeah, I, I must say um, my impressions of working with StartX companies has been they've got an incredibly high quality and the overall quality of the network is very good. Now, they've spent a number of years building that up. So I think the the other key takeaway I would personally have was uh, when you're trying to emulate Silicon Valley and other parts of the world is you do need patience that these things do take time to build. And um, where I, I think a lot of other jurisdictions might fall down is they kind of expect, you know, hey, we'll create an innovation area, we'll do some tax breaks. And then in two or three years time, we're just going to see a thousand flowers bloom. But these things typically do take, you know, decades to really um, get into place and to, and to have the full ecosystem build up. For sure. I'd like to thank you for, for spending all of this time with us today. I think from my point of view, this company is one where the overall opportunity is just so incredibly massive. I often meet with companies where they're very proud of, say, a billion dollar end market. And here we're talking about a $13 trillion end market of all manufacturing times by 25% of wastage. And that's just in dollars sense, right? That's that's a huge number. But then in terms of we only have one planet, there's a finite amount of resources that we have, and we need to use those resources as brutally as possible. And so I think the entire world needs to start using using technologies like yours to be able to be more intelligent about how we're using our limited resources. So very excited about what you're doing right now. And what does the future hold for you as Riven? I think what you'll see from Riven is you'll see us take on flexible manufacturing first and do a really good job at assessing product quality in flexible manufacturing. That's a significant trend that we're seeing in manufacturing now as supply chains need to be de-risked and diversified. So we're going to do a good job in that niche first. And then from there, we'll branch out to other sectors of manufacturing. I, I do think that's another lesson here that startup entrepreneurs really do need to learn is you've got to learn how to kind of crawl before you walk, before you run. And uh, even when you do have a massive opportunity ahead of you, kind of picking your battles and finding an interesting small niche to go and really hone and perfect it before you go and try and take over the world is exactly what you guys are doing. Well, thank you very much for taking the time with us today, James. Where can folks go to learn a little bit more about you and uh, Riven? Yes, please check us out at Riven.ai. Fantastic. And Greg, thanks so much for the opportunity. We're thrilled to be working with iVentures and thrilled to be making a difference in sustainability and manufacturing. Yes, we are absolutely thrilled to have you as part of the portfolio and um, excited to see what you do in the future. Thank you very much. And thanks to our audience for uh, tuning in. We will be back in the next episode with another industry luminary and portfolio company CEO. And if you'd like to learn more about iVentures and our portfolio companies, you can always find that out at bmwiventures.com.